Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Wesley Union. Um, This is the second part of our Holy Week um, conversation. We're going to talk about Good Friday and Holy Saturday today. Um, As usual, it's me, Sarah Taylor, Assistant Director of Communication and Studio Wesley. Um, And today I am joined by Reverend Christy. Um, Reverend Christy, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Um, so why don't you just dive right in, but tell us a little bit about yourself first, you know, like, yeah, sure. Of you. Sure. Absolutely. Um, I am the, uh, director of Gulf Coast Wesley Foundation in Fort Myers. Um, we founded the ministry a little over eight years ago and, um, actually right aligned with CCW, I'm pretty sure. And, um, and a great experience down here, um, kind of expanding our ministry to include all sorts of things that um, I wouldn't have dreamed were possible uh, when we launched the ministry um, originally. But um, but that's been really exciting. It's given me the opportunity to teach courses for the university, to offer um, lots of one-on-one care, uh, both to students, but also um, a lot with faculty and staff, actually and to have rich conversations about theology, which is my favorite part. So um, that's been really exciting. And um, I also am a mom. That's my first calling and my favorite one. Um, And so I have two kids. Uh, One is in high school and the other is um, in fourth grade. And so uh, life is busy with the two of them. And probably before the interview is over, you'll see my cat Theo jump up in my lap you may see him. You may not. Anyway. That's so lovely. Um, not to gloss over everything else, but I love cats. And so the the possibility of a cat appearing is like absolutely thrilling to me. Um, but that's really neat about um, FGCU that you've been able to provide care and like witness not only to students, but also to faculty and staff. That's definitely... That's really lovely, like to hear. And that's I yeah, that's it's, it's a really great environment. Um, the FGCU is genuinely very open to um, spiritual conversations. So now, not everyone agrees, of course, you know, um, and um, different departments receive it differently. Um, but there's been a lot of space made for spiritual practitioners to lead and to, um, to offer opportunities for conversation. So I kind of think of our, our Wesley as an opportunity to create and hold space for spiritual conversations and exploration, um, which is really fun because we're meeting all kinds of students who aren't Christians, who don't know anything about Christ, who've never picked up a Bible. And, and especially we're getting the chance to serve, um, people who are or have perceived that the church was against them or have been harmed by the church in the past or who would never just by their habits or generalized fear about institutional religion would never happen into one of our congregations on a Sunday to find out what it was about. Mm -hmm. And so this gives us a great chance to talk with people and to ask questions and to to help lead them. So it's been really wonderful. That's so, so beautiful. I, 
that's one of the things I love about campus ministry is that I do think it provides a space for people who otherwise would never connect with the traditional church. Um, Indeed. Indeed. And we do encounter so many students who quite naturally, I mean, it makes total sense that in young adulthood, um, you are kind of questioning what you've been given in terms of training, right? So we meet so many students who are rethinking uh, what kind of inheritance they received from parents, grandparents, community, in terms of their spiritual life and every other thing, right? Um, And trying to decide what makes the best sense for themselves and what resonates with them and what brings life and gives freedom. And um, it's great to be able to come alongside people in that path and encourage them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know when I first showed up at college, I was definitely in that kind of space where I was kind of iffy on institutionalized religion due to some past experiences and was very much trying to figure out what I believed and not just what I'd been told I was supposed to believe. And yeah, what my parents had told me to believe and stuff. So I totally relate to that. Totally. I think as we've come into a season where people are even less sure, like culturally across our country, we're even less sure um, that we can trust people and what that, what they're saying is true. Mm -hmm. Um, We're questioning everything so much more than we ever used to. Right. Um, Fake news and all that stuff. It's just, it's, it's gotten under our skin now in a way that is affecting all of us, I think. And so people need, um, encouragement and patience and openness as they uh, put their toe in the pond because they're, they're scared and even less trusting than they might've been before. So it's, it's great to be able to be, to offer pastoral care with people that may not even know that they need it. (laughs) And, um, and also um, to provide a sort of supportive, encouraging atmosphere where we can really get into some deep conversations and ask important questions of one another. And it's one of my friends likes to say, to speak of the deepest things we know. Mm. That's a privilege. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of deep conversations, hoping yeah. this will be at least somewhat deep. It's hard to get really deep in, you know, like 45 minutes, but like we're going to do our best. Um, go yeah. So We're talking about Good Friday and Holy Saturday, and I guess my initial question to you is, why do those days, as well as Holy Week in general, matter? And, like, why is the liturgical calendar even important broadly? Like, why do we care about that? Okay, so let me start broad and then maybe come down. That that might be, or come narrower, that might be more helpful um, as a way of organizing it. So, for me, the liturgical calendar does a couple of things. It provides discipleship. It's a a teaching tool, right? So the liturgical calendar gives us a regular cycle through which we can train people, teach people as much as we can about the the person of Christ and about um, Christ's birth, life, ministry, suffering, death, and resurrection, you know, so it gives us this cycle, in which we can do that. And um, the other part that's beautiful about liturgical calendar, particularly when it's um, woven together with the lectionary, is that we get through large chunks of scripture if we teach that way. If we order our life by that rhythm, we're able to cover huge sections of the scripture. So we're not kind of hung up in one place or stuck on a pet theme or a pet verse. 
Um, it's great for clergy who are scared to preach hard texts because if you follow the lectionary, you're going to have to, <laughs> right? Um, and so it, it gets us unstuck. Um, and I think there's something powerful too in that this is a global practice. It's a it's a um, interdenominational, um, international thing that Christians do and have done for a long, long time to follow this rhythm. And so there's something powerful about this being a way that the whole church, like capital C church, prays through and learns through and grows through the story. Um, so for me, that's um, one of the most significant parts about the liturgical calendar. Um, the other thing is it adds, um, can, can, can add uh, excitement and creativity and, and a sense of rhythm or movement through time, especially when we use the other um, pieces of art and um, tactile, tangible things that go with it, right? The colors and the symbols and the, um, the different, different kinds of art and, um, fi and the fine arts in general, right? To illuminate those different parts of the story so that everything that we do really becomes an act of worship in storytelling and an act of discipleship because we're remembering and recalling that same story so that we can be formed by it. So given all of that, um, Good Friday and Holy Saturday are really critical, of course, in, um, in the story of the Passion Week and in that overarching theme. And we'll get deeper into that in a minute. But I think that that would be why I would say that the liturgical calendar is important for us to pay attention to. Yeah. That's really beautiful. I, I really appreciated your point about the connectedness it brings, right? These um, lectionary texts and liturgical calendars and all of that, this, this sense that we're a part of something broader and bigger than just us and our one congregation, like that there is this communion of believers. And like, that was one thing that I really appreciated about um, the lectionary and liturgical calendar and even like, um, liturgies and stuff when I first started learning about them, cause I didn't grow up with any of those things, mm -hmm. um, was that there was this tradition and this sense of an entity bigger than us. Um, just cause I grew up in a standalone, like non-denom church. And so it was, it was just us right in some sense. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I love this idea of connectedness. Um, and even whenever we talk about, you know, like Good Friday and Holy Saturday, which are like historical days from like quite some time ago, it, I think it connects us throughout history to believers, not even like globally now, but like there's this historical pull and like to that moment in time. Absolutely. So my favorite story about that, and I think like the moment of my deepest awakening. So I, I and I did grow up in a church that practiced regular liturgy. It was a formal, traditional um, kind of church. And so I was definitely shaped by that, but I couldn't have articulated it as well until this happened. So um, in my first church out of seminary, I was appointed to a congregation and I had been there maybe two weeks like I was fresh out of seminary. Um, I was an associate pastor. My senior pastor felt confident um, in my being there to handle things for a little while and promptly went on vacation, which was fine. I mean, we had that all arranged, but he was gone for like a month <laughs> on vacation because he finally was getting a break. 
And that was great. I was glad to help him. But um, at, at about two weeks, I got a phone call that um, a child had been tragically killed in an accident in our community. And our sanctuary was large and was the place that all the community events happened because it was really the only container large enough to hold enough people to have a community-wide celebration of anything. Um, and um, that I would be helping to officiate this funeral. And I thought, oh my gosh, like my very first funeral out, out of school and I'm going to need to bury a baby. I mean, like this little boy, he was eight years old. It was it was so tragic. And I was terrified that I was going to somehow mess it up. <laughs> um, but what was amazing was the family had a deep connection to the Greek Orthodox tradition. And so they um, brought their pastor in from the Greek Orthodox church. And we kind of worked through that process together. And I was so relieved, like being a new clergy, I was so relieved <laughs> that he was there to help. Um, but at the beginning of the funeral, he said this, and I, it just has never left me. He said, um, there are times in life when we have no words and we reach and try and work and turn mentally, trying to figure out how we could articulate what it is we most need to say. And in a moment like this, it's really hard to do that because we're so caught with our grief, right? We're, we're so um, swollen with emotion and, um, and with the tragedy of a moment like this. And this is where we rely on liturgy because we can call on thousands of years of history of God's people figuring out together what to say. And so we join in these ancient words that for centuries people have said together in a day like today. And it was just, exactly. It was, it was like God speaking directly to me saying like, no, this is why we do liturgy. This is why it's the work of the people because it isn't just us in our location. It's all of us everywhere, right? And over time, working together to craft the prayers of the church that matter on the days when we most need them. And which of course is every day, but there are prayers for every day. So um, anyway, liturgy is big in my heart. Yeah. It's one of the things I've found that I like love and connect to the most in like the Methodist tradition and like more traditional denominations, just because like I said, I didn't grow up with it and it's just, it's so beautiful and the connectedness it brings and like, it's, I know Derek, if anyone listens to Annex, Derek references like the great cloud of witnesses like all the time when he talks, but like it, it becomes very real some in some ways for me in that moment, whenever I think about like people, you know, X amount of time ago, because, you know, some of these like liturgies have dates, it's like, you know, this was, you know, written and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, people a hundred years ago, like said this too. And like, now they are a part of this, like, mm -hmm. uh, anyway, it's just. Mm -hmm. That was beautiful, beautiful story. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, it's something I've returned to a lot this year because we've, you know, we've experienced so much global suffering. So, I mean, to return to the thread of a prayer that says, merciful God, you know, loving God whose property is always to have mercy and whose will is ever directed to your children's good. To be able to pull out a line like that from, from the great cloud right? From all these other people who've known that there are days when we have to just remind ourselves, no, God is actually good. This hurts. This stinks. I'm in the middle of the muck right now. I can't see my way out. I need the reminder. And to start my statement with God is mercy. God is grace. God is goodness. Um, it's reordering and resetting. And that's 
um, one of the roles that the church takes for the community. Yeah, absolutely. But um, speaking of like moments of great suffering, the days we're talking about Good Friday, Holy Saturday, I would argue there are probably some moments of great suffering. Indeed. Um, and so like, what do those days specifically like mean to you? How do you find meaning in them? Like, well, um, I have said for a long, long time, the end of the Passion Week is a particularly important time for me. I have a, a tremendous personal connection to the experience of the liturgy for those days and to those stories, what it means that Jesus, um, and I suppose I'm thinking about Monday, Thursday here, when Jesus sits down with his friends and um, shares a meal and calls them friends and treats them with such lavish love and grace, and then it goes south so fast, right? I mean, it just all goes south so fast. And, um, you know, before a couple of hours have passed, he's really suffering. Um, and, and not just from, like, it's easy for us to overlook that part and say, oh, it's, you know, the government, it was the government, (laughs) but it isn't, it's his intimate friends that, um, that initiate the suffering. And then it expands to the community at large around him. Um, so I think, um, these days, have been important to me because they help me to remember that I serve a God who knows what it's like to be betrayed, who knows what it's like to hurt, who knows what it's like to suffer physical pain, who knows what it's like to be humiliated and embarrassed, who knows what it's like to do their very, very best and even be perfect. Right. I mean, I'm not saying I am, but I'm, but, but to even be perfect and still be put down. Um, still go through all of this and in the midst of that find ways to respond with love, grace, compassion, openness, humility, um, and to figure out how not to just go crazy. So for me, like there, those are really personal um, moments and, and I hang on them. I hang so much of the rest of the year on them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I really, your point about it being his intimate friends that betrayed him and this switch from this, you know, dinner together where people probably felt very connected and one and in community, right? Like, and then this dramatic shift, like there are these moments in our lives, I'm sure you've had these, where everything is going great and you feel like a part of your community and you are doing what you want in the world. And then something happens. And in the span of hours, your world is flipped upside down. I mean, I think we all felt that a little bit about a year ago, whenever everything shut down for this pandemic, right? Like, I think there were people who had jobs they were supposed to be starting, trips they were supposed to go on, you know, albums that were supposed to release, concerts, whatever it was. And, you know, things were jiving. And then all of a sudden, you get slapped with this deadly disease where we're all supposed to stay in our houses and not see each other and not be as connected in one in a physical sense. There are definitely ways to connect online stuff, but, and it's, it's interesting to think about Jesus and the disciples having that moment. And then also these moments of intimate betrayal where whenever your friends or someone you care deeply about does something 
and you feel so alone and like you're the problem and like what why right but it's like Jesus can relate to that because it it happened to him in a very real way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I think it speaks to um the points of some of our greatest human um I want to say uh depravity is the word I want to use, but not in the sense of theology, (laughs) in the sense of um, sinfulness, right? That, um, that this moment, the celebration that they're at Monday, Thursday is, is the Passover. They're celebrating the great memory of being protected, of being sheltered from the horror of the world around them. Right. Mm -hmm. And that the betrayal comes from within, it comes from inside that, that should be protected safe space. And um, for me, I mean, that's just um, so aligned with our human experience on so many days. And you think about people who experience abuse at the hand of someone who should be their safe partner or their safe parent. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think about um, other acts of trauma, Right. Um, oftentimes this is a this is an experience for people where it should have been OK. It was supposed to be OK and it really wasn't OK. Right. Um, or where there should have been. I think, you know, of people who have conflict with um, those in authority, police, teachers, pastors, you know, p- people that should be protective who are not or for, for whatever reason. You know, for what that's not, I'm not blame blaming. I'm just saying, like, for whatever reason, can't or don't do that, and then something happens, and we find ourselves in a in a really horrific position of grief and pain and suffering. It's awful, mm-hmm. um, and yet here, right in these pages of the story, right unfold before us a Lord and Master that says, even in the face of this. My name is Emmanuel, God with us. Even in the face of this, they call me love, mm-hmm. right? I'm not going to respond with revenge or ask for retribution or um, whatever. I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk through this with um, with love and endure this as horrific as it is, knowing that there's a bigger story that's a part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think even, even in the midst of Jesus walking through all of that with love and being Jesus and like not, you know, denouncing any sort of who he was, right. He still laments, you know, he still goes, you know, take this cup from me. If it can be taken from me, he still says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like he doesn't shy away from his feelings and his grief in those moments because he shows us on good Friday, he's fully human Mm -hmm. as much as he is fully divine. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. um, His, I I will never, never forget driving when my oldest child was like four years old and from the back seat at four, he goes, mom, I just don't understand why Jesus didn't take himself down. (laughs) And I'm like, Oh, Okay. I'm not prepared to answer that for a four-year-old. <laughs> That's a big enough question for adults. <laughs> um, but I think that, you know, he demonstrates in those moments um, 
that uh, that love really is his superpower. Mm. Um, that he that he doesn't have to do that to be fully divine, and that if he does do it, he can't be fully human. That is, I'm gonna sit with that one for a minute. So I'm gonna let everyone sit with that one for a minute. And we're gonna take a really quick break, and then we're gonna come right back, and we're gonna keep talking about Good Friday and Holy Saturday. And I am so excited for the second half of this conversation. So stay tuned, y'all. Studio Wesley will be premiering our Easter Mantra service this Easter Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We would love for you to join us for this brief time of worship and reflection. You can join us on Instagram at studio.wesley. We can't wait to see you there. All right, everyone, we are back with the second half of this episode, um, and I am so, so excited um, to hear um, Pastor Christie's answers to the rest of these questions. We were talking a little bit about it in the break, just getting ready for this, and I'm so excited. So I'm just going to go for it. Um, Pastor Christie, what are the stories behind and reasons for Good Friday and Holy Saturday? Some of us probably know, some of us probably don't. Um, and why are they still significant to today's society? Why do they still matter? Sure, absolutely. Well, um, Good Friday is the day that we traditionally remember the story of Jesus's execution of his death um, and kind of walk through the different events that occurred that day and um, the sequence of the story. We're reminded of the characters who are there and um, and of Jesus's own torment and his responses. And so it's powerful that the scripture gives us a lot of information about the things that he said. There's um, um, lots of experiential information in the, in the scripture about this, you know, um, uh, what he tasted, what he felt, what the people around were seeing or doing or noticing, um, and the way that he interacts with the other people who are being crucified that day with the crowd and with God. Um, as he goes through that. And so I think those are um, those are powerful parts of the story that we remember on Good Friday. So they're, again, like an important discipleship tool for us to, to really put ourselves, not just in Jesus's place, although that's really important, um, but also in the place of all the other characters, you know, those who were soldiers, those who were on either side of him on other crosses, those who were related to him, his mother, um, his friends who were at the foot of the cross watching on as all this happened, those who um, thought him worthy of this execution and who were still in their hearts chanting out, crucify him, crucify him. You know, um, we have the opportunity to, to do that um, as uh, St. Ignatius would have implored us, that um, sort of imagination kind of praying through these scriptures on Good Friday. And then Holy Saturday um, really is that vacant space between the horrific events and the resurrection, right? And all too fast, we want to go from Palm Sunday and just fast forward right through from the parade to the resurrection, right? There's all this festivity and it was so great. We we're having a good time and how, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna, and it's all exciting, right? And Jesus is finally going to make 
his entry and, and make the political statement we've been hoping for. And then we, we just want to like swoosh through the rest of the week where it all like for lack of a better way of saying it, like goes to hell. Right. Um, but if we do that, then how, um, goodness, how we're robbing the story of the victory of Easter Sunday um, how we're robbing ourselves from the chance to step into our own experiences of grief, of suffering, of loss, of trauma, of betrayal, um, and to look for restoration and healing and reconciliation. Like that it's in the telling of those stories that we do our, our best work. And I think um, one of the things I've been teaching a lot on lately is um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu and his daughter Umpo Tutu wrote a book called The Book of Forgiving. And I'm, I'm teaching that my course right now. And so there's uh, there's so much about forgiving that um, that happens and healing just in general that happens when we tell the story of that. So I think um, for us as a culture, it's important. It's so important and significant for us to continue to make spaces where people's stories can be told. It's one of the reasons I think that we have not we have not even begun really, as, as far as we've come, we have not begun to heal um, the breach in our nation over things like racism, because we don't wanna tell the story of it. It's painful and traumatic and horrific, and we don't wanna go in that closet. We don't wanna open that door. Um, but through these stories of Holy Week, and especially the story of, of Jesus's death, and in the quiet of Holy Saturday, where um, we just have to sit with it and feel the weight of it, um, that's where the healing can come. So um, I'm also reminded of sort of the, you know, the, the like Dr. King's words about the, um, the arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice, right? And, um, and unless we sit in the suffering, unless we feel the pain, there are ways in which, um, we never really fully appreciate the justice that comes. Now I'm not saying like, I want everybody to suffer it. <laughs> I don't mean that. Um, but the more fully we can feel our feelings, tell our story, be honest about what it's like to be human in this life. And the more that we can do that as a community to, to be honest about our stories and really reckon with them, the, the more whole we can become and the more hope we have of reconciliation, which is really what Bishop Tutu did with the Truth and Reconciliation Com Commission in South Africa after apartheid, inviting people to tell these horrific stories and allowing also the people who caused the harm to confess and to, and to confront that injustice in a loving and dignified honoring kind of way for everyone involved. Um, so that's one way I think these stories could be um, well stewarded by Christian communities to help our whole culture at large, our communities at large, to be willing to let people and encourage people to tell their stories and to make safe spaces for that to happen, to not be afraid of the, the dark spaces that come in life because there are many, right? And we don't really do ourselves a service ignoring it. Yeah, yeah. I I love all of that. But I 
I appreciate your point about Silent Saturday being this moment to pause and how we want to rush from Palm Sunday to Easter and skip over the middle. And I think in some ways we've done that a lot as a society in our, in a culture of sometimes toxic positivity where like we need to just always pretend like it's going to be fine. Everything's good. Life is, you know, good. Or Mm -hmm. like when people ask us even like, how are you? And our default is, oh, I'm good. How are you? Like, but we're not always all good. And like, how much different would it be if we all didn't rush from high to high and like rested in the lows and like let ourselves grow and then go back up as opposed to trying to plow through the low, right? Right. Like, what would it be like if we did sit in those moments of pain? There's this song and the title sounds bad, but like, it's called wish you pain. And it's like, I know this might sound strange, but I wish you pain. You know, I wish that your doubts like come and it's like, I wish you have to wrestle with life and you have to grow. I wish that you don't get too caught up in this have to be positive, have to be like just focusing on the mountaintop experiences. Right. It's like, I wish Mm -hmm. that you would let yourself be transformed is actually kind of how I think of that. It's like, I, I wish that you would grow from your experiences and not just try to put a positive spin on them and move on. Mm-hmm. And I think Good Friday and Holy Saturday really lean in on that, having to sit in these moments of pain and pause that we want to rush through. Um, and so I just really appreciate you pointing that out. And I think it does speak, and we have something to learn from it in regards to issues of racism and classism and sexism and things that we, you know, we want to like, have this like quick reckoning and then move on with it and like be like, we fixed it. But that's just not the case. Those are all ongoing things that we're going to have to continually go through and recognize the harm that has been done and then work to do good instead. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you can't just erase the things that were bad or rush through recognizing them. You have Mm -hmm. to acknowledge and accept and then like work to move forward and then keep acknowledging when you get it wrong. Exactly. I mean, I think behind all the isms, behind all the isms is um, is a core belief that someone else is less than fully human or that another group is less than fully human or that my group is less than fully human or that my full humanness is being challenged or threatened. Right. And that's really all behind the isms. And, um, and so when we can look at even the face of God, the face of God experiencing that kind of oppression, um, experiencing that kind of death, um, I, th- I think that's so important. It's so liberating for us to realize that, um, that this is the link that God is willing to go to to show us that God's in it with us, that God chose to stay fully human in that moment and not just whisk out of his human body and be done with it um, or take his body down off of the torture device, right? Um, But he doesn't. Jesus stays there and demonstrates his entire commitment to the incarnation, which is God with us. Um, It's tremendously powerful so, so powerful and so needful um, because if someone who was perfect had that experience, then bad things can happen to other good people. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, and, and when it happens to me, I have now a different narrative for where to go with it, what to do with it. Um, and, you know, and then thinking sort of, um, culturally that gives us implications also. Absolutely. Um, I really appreciate your points in there about God with us in these things. And, and I think the Bible itself, like in all the stories in it and the scriptures are a lot of stories of God being with us. Um, not just in like these specific stories, but like broadly throughout the whole text. Um, and so I'm curious if there are specific scriptures and stories or like threads of scripture um, and common themes that come to mind when you think about Good Friday and Holy Saturday, obviously the obvious, um, but beyond that, I guess, throughout the text. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think these stories of um, incredible suffering, of betrayal, of um, of death and grief, of pain, physical pain, of emotional pain, I mean, and also days when we just wait, holding all of that negative energy um, or holding the hurt that we acutely feel and we wait without any real um, visible sign or word or, you know, I mean, just not knowing what's coming next and we have to sit with it. It makes me think so much of um, our dear siblings who've lost people to COVID this year and are waiting for to be able to have a funeral service or who have the service and then go home and the house is quiet and the, um, the attention light goes off. And now the people who are left behind are sitting there in the quiet, trying to figure out how to pick up the rubble from that. Um, these are experiences we have in our human lives all the time and whole communities experience this as well. Um, you know, the, the town that, gets bombed and blown up and the next day is looking for survivors and trying to find fresh water and figuring out what houses are still standing and what children are missing. I mean, this is Holy Saturday for us. And so, you know, as we look through the whole of scripture, I think there are so many times when people are crying out in anguish, my enemies are triumphing over me. Where are you in the middle of this? Um, or who um, for, for people who have worked really hard for um, community justice, right? For large scale justice or um, for uh, a sense of um, systemic justice to shift or to let, you know, to come. And they don't ever get to see it. You know, I think of, of Moses and the people who died prior to getting to walk into the promised land, right? They like, they wandered around in the wilderness for a long time, knowing that God was good. God lifted them up out of the, um, the uh, enslavement. God provided for them, all that good stuff, right? But like the, 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 the total freedom, the promised land experience of milk and honey didn't come in their lifetime. Um, and yet in the long arch of scripture, like we know it still comes. And so here is Christ in the middle of the rubble um, saying to us, I know it's Friday and I know it's Saturday, but Sunday's coming. It comes. Yeah. That's so beautiful. And I think one thing that's interesting, you drew that comparison 
to Moses, and you know, there's the 40 years of wandering in the desert, right? Like they get out of Egypt and then there's like this valley and then there's the hill. And like, they had to sit in that the same way. And I think you might've made this connection in your, in what you were saying as well. And I may have just like been thinking about it in my head, not like super zeroed in on it, but there's, you know, the moment where Jesus comes in on Palm Sunday on the donkey and it's beautiful. And there's this week. And then he has this moment with his friends and then there's this valley of betrayal and death and then silence on Saturday. And then there's this peak again on Sunday. And it's just, it's interesting how different things mirror themselves throughout scripture. I mean, Joshua, right? Like there are these seven days where you're marching around Jericho and it's like, what are we even doing? Why are we sitting in this? And right. then the peak comes in this like weird kind of pause moment that we've had to have. Um and it's just, it's so beautiful to me how scripture mirrors itself over and over and over again. And like God's character is continually shown. And like the things that God wants us to value and do are continually shown. And like that God cares about preparation and like is present in moments that seem strange and mundane and silent sometimes. Like there is still purpose and meaning in those. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, the, the whole witness of scripture and even of the great cloud of witnesses altogether, but the witness of scripture gives us all kinds of people in situations that find themselves in these two days, right? That find themselves in Good Friday and Holy Saturday. And I think the benefit to us as we have all of what's in the book, right? We, we've got cover to cover to look at is for us to try on the experience of different, different people. Like we would be, I think, um, I don't want to say foolish, but we would be getting not as much as we could out of the experience of the liturgies of these days and the liturgical calendar. If we only ever pay attention on Good Friday and Holy Saturday to our own personal experience of suffering and trauma without inviting ourselves to consider empathetically the suffering and trauma of other people who we might not normally experience, you know, like whose experience is less known to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, for me, it's been important through the season of Lent to read about those things and to learn about those things, to listen for those stories um, and to wonder what does it mean for someone who has a radically different experience than I do, you know, or, or a similar experience, but in a different place. Like what does it mean for a single mom like me who lives in Rwanda to walk through this story? What connections would that woman find and what hope or grace might that woman find in knowing that God loves and cares about her and sits with her in the rubble of Holy Saturday. Um, That gives us a chance to open ourselves to not just the, the richness of God's grace and graciousness to me, right? Um, But gives us some clues about how God might be handling the healing of all things and the healing of all people. Um, Because the goal is the total reconciliation of everything, right? Um, So I love that um, through the course of the whole witness of scripture, through the practice of the, the, the witness of the church that comes to us through liturgy and things like the liturgical calendar and all of that around difficult um, uh, remembrances like these. I've uh, like, I hate to call them 
holidays. It doesn't feel right. Holy days, call them holy days. Um, I think that um, we can both find our own sense of healing, our own sense of hope, but also be broadened and stretched so that our hearts can include uh, more people in our sense of who is worthy of God's grace, right? Um, because we can we can look for ways to be empathetically connected and compassionate toward all kinds of people whose stories we might not have known before. And um, and I think that we can, well, I, I, the longer that I live with it, the more that I sit with it, the more I think like, my goodness, um, Jesus on the cross and, um, and the, the purpose of Jesus's death on the cross, my goodness, that, I mean, that's a huge question, but the longer that I live with it, the more I'm convinced that, um, that what I learned from Richard Rohr is really so very true that, that Jesus doesn't die on the cross to, um, to change God's mind about us, but that Jesus dies on the cross to change our mind about God. Mm. And, and when we sit in these moments deeply in our own stories, and when we embrace the stories of others who've sat in these dark places and let our hearts expand, we start to take on the mind of Christ because Jesus dies on Good Friday and sits with us in Holy Saturday, all of us, not just me, right? All of us um, and all creation and weeps with us until, with hope, weeps with us with hope until the restoration can come. Gosh, that was all so beautiful. And like just the imagery you painted and the care for everyone and everything and all of creation and this regard it felt like for all of the things is sacred and all of the things that can be learned and gleaned from everything about God's character and like who God is and who God wants for us and what God wants for us. Oh, so beautiful. Um, do you have any like final takeaways, like wrap up, like center us in all of this that you would like to share before we close out? Sure. I think um, I would just maybe turn toward more of a pragmatic thought, which is to wonder with um, all of us how we might live into this space. You know, um, it's not easy for us to open our own closets um, and go into the dark corners and wonder like what's in there, you know, <laughs> what might jump out at us. Um, or maybe we know what's in there and we don't want to open it because we know how scary it is, right? And so um, I, I'm, my prayer is that folks would use this as an opportunity to um, create a posse, build a squad, right, around you of the, the kind of support that would let you do this truthful telling about your own life um, and or join with a group of other people who will sojourn with you while together you do some truthful telling or listen to some truth telling from other people about what their reality is like so that you can hear it for real, honest and raw and to know that, um, that in the Holy Saturday style of um, God's incarnate love with us, we're being held while we hear these hard things so that healing can come and so that we're open for forgiveness and freedom and abundant life and not to be trapped and held hostage by the, um, the stuff that, that dwells in the dark spaces, 
either inside of us or in our family systems or in our corporate culture, our systems and our, our, um, our larger community, because we're afraid to just go, just because we're afraid to go there. Right. Um, Good Friday and Holy Saturday give us permission to be there and to wait there and to stay as long as we need there. Um, but, but they give it to us with the safety and security of a God who knows us and who loves us and who will hold us while we do that work. Thank you so much for your, your words of wisdom and your reflections and your personal stories today. It's been so, so wonderful. And I'm so excited for everyone to get a chance to listen to this or watch this, whichever medium they choose. Um, and I, I look forward to seeing your continued um, thoughts on Annex, um, which airs on Sundays at five, usually it's available. Um, so if anyone wants to check that out, <laughs> you should do that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's always a privilege to join Studio Wesley in these projects and um, a treat to talk about theology and the scripture anytime. Um, but most of all, um, it's been great, Sarah, to see uh, the work of Christ um, in you and to see the light of God shining in you and the way that you're using your gifts and talents to share this with the world. So thank you for that. And thank you, everybody, for listening. You're awesome. And God loves you in case no one has told you that today. Thank you. All right. Everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Wesley Union. We hope you enjoyed it. We would like to extend a special thanks to today's speaker, as well as our production team, Troy Argon Buchanan, Sarah Taylor, and Derek Scott III. My name is Allison Corwin, and thank you for listening to Wesley Union, a Studio Wesley offering powered by Campus to City Wesley.